Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Well, it is so important for you to remember those who are lost, but I cannot uh, let go the amazing gift that you gave all of us who are desperate for signs of a better tomorrow. And I'm not going to give you some hollow congratulations because I'm Uncle Mo. How many hours are we putting a night? What's Wyatt given you so far? Uh, he, it, well, I, you, you cut out, but how many hours awake? He actually, how last many night hours he was kind of asleep fu- during the night? Oh, yeah, you know, last night was the, he was up quite a bit after like 2 a.m., but um, uh, he's been sleeping a lot, which I appreciate. But it's, you know, it's day four, and, so. And what is the, uh, what are the, what's the uh, nurse telling you about uh, how is he sleeping? Is he colicky? Like when you're watching him sleep, does he seem to be putting well, some it, good time down? Yeah, he had his first pediatrician appointment. He's healthy, thank, thank goodness. Good, and, uh, good. Thank and, God. Uh, thank yeah. God. Yeah, so, um, you know, yeah, we're just, I mean, I'm just amazed by him. I, I spent a good two hours today with him sleeping on my chest uh, in a rocking oh. chair and me just watching him and him hearing, listening yep. to him squeak. Yes. And yes, it, it is normal for you. Well, he gets that from you. And that is, <laughs> I've heard you on airplanes. Uh, and it is normal for you to watch him with a small anxiety of whether he is breathing or not. We all yeah, I did, do I did that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. And the first yeah. amazing pleasure that you're going to have is when you get to do, not bath time, because they're squirmy and you're scared uh, early on because uh-huh. they're so small, but uh-huh. putting lotion on him afterwards uh-huh. and stretching out his little arms. You know how he's like this now? <laughs> you know, he's all tight, uh-huh. right? His arms are in like yeah. that. Uh-huh. That's a fatiguing for them. So when you pull his arms out a little bit, very gently, stretching uh-huh. them straight and stretching his legs uh-huh. straight, he will open his eyes and start to coo because you will be giving him <laughs> a little massage. Wait, did you, you say coo or poo? Because there's poo. a lot of poo these days. Oh, poo okay. poo is more of a straight line <laughs> smile. Whenever you see this, not a uh-huh. smile. And you are learning the first lesson now. When you take uh-huh. that diaper off with a boy, it is go time as soon as the cold air hits them. You have to move the diaper and you have to pretend you're putting out a fire. The hand has to come down and hold everything down or you will see a spray effect that will really uh-huh. astonish you, you should and write, change you your should write a, a You should write a daddy book for, for, for kids. <laughs> it was a daddy you don't it book. All. But I'm telling you, the lotion on the legs and the arms, remember I told you, yeah. and you'll say, oh, I saw it in his face. I'm here for you, brother. The missus is already making an inventory of all the stuff we have for a little boy. All right. Well, thanks. I I'm so happy this. for you. You've given us a gift. You gave yourself well, a gift. You. you gave your family and your memories of them and something to inculcate their love. But you gave us a uh, gift, too. I know. I keep wanting to wake him up and just like, I don't know. I don't know what. Just wake him up. Just never, to see his eyes never, stuff. never, ever do that. <laughs> never. Okay, I, I, if they are I sleeping, leave yeah, them alone. 
Yeah, Any position. I will. And don't reposition him. Don't get SIDS crazy. Yeah. Don't reposition him. If he is asleep, <laughs> okay. leave him alone. I love you. All Congratulations right. again. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> Bye. Listen, it was a big day. There's a lot of news. There's no question about it. But let's be honest. New babies, somebody you care about bringing life into this world, uh, what that invites is symbolism to the rest of us. What matters matters more than that? Come on, let's be honest. It's worth the time to remember. Welcome, everybody. It's Friday night. I hope you have a good weekend coming. I hope the week has taken you here in a good way. We can have the teleprompter back. We can do the show. I'm Chris Cuomo, and welcome to primetime. Now, if you want the reality of where we are right now, I'll give it to you in a snapshot. The senators are coming back Monday, okay? They have been told there are not enough tests for all of them. Think about it. The government that has been telling you We got it with testing. There's more than enough for everybody. Everywhere who wants one, they can get it. They don't have enough for 100 senators. That's the reality. It is time to end the disconnect between that and these reckless rationales for reopening. It has to end. Get us more tests, more people making them in the United States. Get a plan to fund manpower for tracing where people want to open up. This is a war. Treat it that way. You are right to risk money on the vaccine and manufacturing. Why? Because it's a good risk. If you get it right, you're ready and you've cut a ton of time off it. If not, hey, scared money never wins, okay? Experts are gonna argue tonight that pandemic mode could last as long as two years, even with a vaccine. The biggest facilitator of our freedom remains what this president fights the most, testing and tracing. And I know I say it a lot, and I know I get attacked for it and that people say we've done so well. It's a lie, okay? I will not stop pressing this point because I know someday we will look back and remember What mattered most in determining how long we suffered with COVID-19 was testing and tracing and how long it took to get where we needed it to be. Why? Testing and tracing tells us the truth. Together as ever as one. Let's get after it. Hard to believe May 1st, May Day, Often a cause of celebration is the beginning of spring, but now May Day sounds as much like a call of desperation and help. This has been a long, long, grueling haul, and it is just the beginning. If you look at these new predictions about uh, what this could look like for months and years by this trusted group of health brains, all right? What is the latest in the state of play? CNN's Nick Watt tells us. Limited testing, the continued influx of infected travelers from overseas hotspots and cruise ships, and large events like a conference in Boston, a funeral in Georgia, and Mardi Gras in New Orleans, all fueled the devastating early spread of this virus here in the U.S. This according to a just-released report written by the CDC's principal deputy director. Apparently, flu season also made it hard to detect some early clusters and the early introduction of this virus into nursing homes, meatpacking plants and dense urban areas like New York City accelerated transmission. 
This virus might circulate among us for another two years, says one new study, until 60 to 70 percent of us are infected. This is going to can be, continue to be a rolling situation throughout the world, not just our country, for these months ahead. So expect many more New Yorks to occur. It's very likely they will. The U.S. death count doubled these past two weeks, and one newly updated model from Northeastern University now suggests 100,000 people in this country will die by midsummer. But this morning in Katy, Texas, a line at Snappy's Cafe and Grill. Today, restaurants, movie theaters and malls can reopen in the state at a quarter capacity. Beginning to see the beaches open, beginning to see guests on the beach. But up in Dallas County yesterday, nearly 180 new cases, the biggest single day spike they've seen since all this began. We're reopening today and it does feel like a bit of a gamble. Partial opening now underway in at least 32 states. But it doesn't appear any of them meet White House guidelines that states have a downward trajectory of documented cases within a 14 day period. There are some states, some cities or what have you, who are looking at that and kind of leapfrogging over the first checkpoint. And I mean, obviously you could get away with that, but you're making a really significant risk. Meanwhile, with ongoing outbreaks at meat processing plants, slowing production, some military commissaries now limiting how much meat shoppers can buy. Down in Florida, they'll start reopening Monday with restaurants and retail, but the state's three largest and hardest hit counties are excluded. I don't know that we're going to be able to open up our beaches uh, really before June. Meanwhile, in Michigan, so the governor in the shadow of armed protesters at the Capitol extended her state's stay-at-home order through May 28th. Yesterday's scene at the Capitol was disturbing, to be quite honest. Swastikas and Confederate flags, nooses and automatic rifles do not represent who we are as Michiganders. Nick Watt, CNN. Los Angeles. Look, again, thank you to Nick Watt for the piece. You see the disconnect. We all want to reopen. We want to reopen yesterday. And there's good reason for that. It's not just about a burger and a beer. It's about people being in economic desperation. But still, the answer is the same. Whether you want to go and get a tan or whether you are desperate to work for your family, the answer is the same in both cases. Testing and tracing will tell us the truth. It will keep us safe by letting us know what is working and what is not. It will give confidence to the consumer that is just as necessary as the reopening for the worker. Because these places won't make money if people aren't confident to go out. And that confidence comes from testing and tracing. If you fight that, you are fighting the truth. And I do not apologize for making the argument once again that this president has fought testing and tracing from jump because the truth of the situation is believed by him to be bad for his political aspirations. It's as simple as that. And it's also as simple as that for us. And once again today, you saw the tweet from the president today calling those armed protesters who stormed Michigan's capital very good people. He wants the governor to give in to them. How about that? He says, talk with them. They're good because he's so inviting of dissent, right? The man who condemns everyone 
and every institution that does anything but what he wants. Good people with AR-15s in tow, because you need that to protest. Just like Charlottesville, this president is forgiving of bad actions because he thinks it is good for him. Their gripes are legitimate. Their right to redress and protest are real. I don't know about the weapons, but it doesn't make what they're doing right. So then today, the president's new press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, was questioned about this and a lot of other matters at her very first briefing in the briefing room. Remember those? Maybe they're back again. She said, I will never lie to you. Here's what I know. On this show, she said the president has never lied to you. And I gave her many times to qualify it and take it back. It was a lie when she said it. So maybe she'll be better now. We'll see. White House correspondent Caitlin Collins is with me. How did that go over, that dynamite notion that I will never lie to you? Well, I mean, Chris, every press secretary since I've been covering the Trump White House has been asked about how honest they're going to be with the media at the beginning. Sean Spicer was asked. Sarah Sanders was asked this. Stephanie Grisham was obviously never asked because she never held a press briefing. And so I think every single time they try to make a commitment to what they're going to say, but has which has been so common during the Trump administration is that often he undercuts the people who do speak on behalf of him because, of course, he often serves as his own best communicator. So really what people rely on is what the president himself says. So, so that'll be interesting to see as the president has been the one holding these daily briefings. Now you're seeing that Kayla McEnany is going to be the one doing it. And one big question is about something that happened yesterday after the intelligence community issued this statement saying that they did not believe the coronavirus was man-made or genetically modified. Then, of course, they said they were still investigating really where it came from. Was it from infected animals in contact with that or was it from a lab accident in China? The president said he believed that he's seen evidence that it did originate originate in a lab, which caused a lot of questions about exactly what he's seen. Kaylee was asked about that today during her first briefing, and this is what she told reporters. The president's statement is consistent with the other intelligence assessments. While we continue to have very limited and dubious data from China, current assessments indicated that President Trump's statement is consistent with what some analysts believe is the epicenter of where the virus began. One, that this virus originated in China. Uh, Two, that it began through contact with infected animals or was the result of an accident at a laboratory in Wuhan. That's That's not what the DNI said. Yeah, if you juxtapose what the president said and what the DNI said, those statements seem to contradict. And when the president was asked about that statement, Chris, he seemed caught off guard by it. He kept asking who it was that had put out the statement. When it was put out from the office of the director of national intelligence, we should know a political ally of his. And it was on behalf of the entire intelligence community. So, of course, she's saying that there is no disagreement there, though there were questions about whether or not the president was aware they were going to put that statement out. Look. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. That's fine. But unless I'm wrong, and please, Caitlin, uh, let me know if I have it wrong. The DNI said that they did not have reason to believe that this was about a laboratory. That was the point of the statement, because that's what they were asked, was to deal with that conjecture. And they said, we're going to keep looking, but we have no proof that that's what happened. He said he did have proof. There is no truthful way to argue that those two statements are consistent or am i missing something 
Well, the question is, have they seen definitive proof? Because they are normally incredibly hesitant to put out any kind of statement backing any assessment unless they know that it's happened. We saw this play out with Russian interference in the 2016 election. They waited until they had concluded that it had happened to put out a statement saying we back this assessment. So that's why this statement that they put out yesterday before the president made his remarks was so rare because they normally don't put out statements about theories that have not been corroborated yet. And they basically said, we're still looking in to see whether or not this was an accident at a lab or whether or not it came from infected animals, which is what his one of his top scientists, Anthony Fauci, has said. He cited studies saying they believed it is consistent that it jumped from an animal to a human. And so that's still a big question here, because a lot of it plays into the fact of, you know, as we talked about last night, how are they going to respond to China? Is the president going to try to punish China? So a lot of that is actually critically important to how the U.S.-China relationship moves forward. 37 times since April, uh, the president has said things, or since the beginning of this, the president has said flattering things about China and their handling of the pandemic. She's going to have a tough job. Let's see how she decides to do it, Kaylin McEnany. Kaylin Collins, you do your job very well, and I appreciate your services here to the audience, especially late on a Friday night. Have a great weekend. Always. You too. All right. Thank you. News today on Operation Warp speed. The president says he's not overpromising on a vaccine, but he's hoping to deliver hundreds of millions of doses by the end of the year. And the sky's the limit on the cost. Uh, we all hope that this is a good bet, that they have the vaccine right. And by the way, to be fair to the science, it is easier for them to figure out the proteins and the way to create the preventative medicine, also known as a vaccine, to prevent something like this than it is for them to figure out what's happening with it in due course as it spreads as a function of infection. That may seem counterintuitive, but I've now vetted that with like five or six different epidemiologists, disease um, scientists and doctors, and they say they may have a jump start on the vaccine and that placing this bet on manufacturing it before all the phases of testing are done is ambitious, but it's not violative of scientific principles. So let's remember that, okay? And let's bring in the doctors for how they feel about it and what they think is still the reality of what needs to happen going forward. Next. Not one or two, but 300 million. That is the number that President Trump is hoping to meet for coronavirus vaccines by January. Now, let's get a fair read on what the risk is here and the reward. Insight from friend of the show, uh, the brilliant Dr. William Schaffner. Doctor, thank you very much. And thank you uh, for the quick tutorial last night after our segment during the commercial. Uh, you set me on a hunt today that what is the fair criticism of Operation Warp Speed? And a lot of the criticism I've read seems unfair, which is, oh, they're rushing the science. I called people involved with it today and who are knowledgeable of the process. They say that's not true, that the risk here is that they are manufacturing what they'll need before the phases of testing are completed. Not that the phases are going to be scientific, uns uh, you know, insufficient. Is that a fair assessment? That is perfect, Chris. That's exactly what's happening. We're putting a bet on a horse. Uh, this vaccine 
even before the horse has uh, started to run. Oh, that's a silly analogy. But uh, we think that this vaccine is going to work. That would be the presumption. And we're already going to start manufacturing it before the, uh, before the trial is finished. If it works, then we have a big stockpile of vaccine ready to go. Mm. Now, another point you made to me last night, which, again, was you know, a big help to me in, in giving me a head start in the reporting today, uh, was I said to you, oh, come on, they don't even know what's going on. They don't even they're calling me to help understand how my symptoms correspond and correlate to all these different things they've seen. They don't know anything about this virus. And you told me, slow down. Not knowing what this virus does in terms of the contagion phase is different than the science behind identifying proteins that are preventative of its replication, also known as a vaccine. And I had five different scientists today agree with exactly that, that it is absolutely um, plausible that they have a head start from previous vaccines and scientific understanding of what may work as a vaccine, even though they are mystified by how this virus is acting in the body. Explain that to uh, the uninitiated like myself. How do those two things go together? Do you agree and why? Oh, sure. I. I agree completely. Uh, the virologist can study the virus in the laboratory, how it is put together and how it attaches to cells, for example, which is something you would like to block. If you block the virus's attachment to cells, it can't initiate the infection. It's as though the body just brushes it off. However, it's quite another thing to figure out once the virus does get in, how it causes its mischief within the body. That's a separate whole line of investigation. If you can block it from getting in, oh, we've solved the problem. Mm. All right, good. Uh, I want to be fair about it because I don't like the idea of attacking it because they're going too fast and it seems like politics. It may seem like politics. I don't think it is politics at this uh, point. We'll see how it goes through the phases and where they arrive. Now, what is politics? in my estimation, and I want your take on this before I release you to your weekend, doctor, and thank you once again. Um, not wanting testing and tracing has to be a function of not wanting the truth because you don't like what it's going to tell you. Because everybody from the Schaffners to the public health experts to the Homeland Security and the national security people all point to testing and tracing as the sine qua known that without this, nothing. If you want to stop the pandemic. And it is still something that this administration has not jumped all over. How do you reconcile those? All I can tell you is try, uh, testing and tracing is the foundation on which we build the house of prevention. Everything rests on that. We have to know who's got the virus, where the virus is, how penetrant the virus is in different parts of the country. We have to identify the people who need medical care and get them to that medical care and then find their contacts and test and quarantine them. Standard public health 101, do it thoroughly. And that's fundamental. And we can add on to that uh, social distancing and the other things that we do. But the Testing and tracing are absolutely critical. And they don't even have enough tests for the senators who are coming back Monday. To me, that tells you everything you need to know about the urgency that the building block, as you just said, of prevention, where we are. 
uh, right now in this country. Dr. William Schaffner, you are always a plus. Thank you very much for helping the audience once again understand some complicated subjects. Thank you so much, Chris. All right. And look, all you need to know for the testing is right now it feels subjective, right? What do I need for comfort to go to a restaurant to go and buy? How about when your kids go back to school? You telling me you're not going to want to know how many cases there are and what the level of exposure is and how fast they can track down people? You think you're going to send your kids back to school if you don't have that kind of assuredness? That's the context that makes you realize how important it is. Now, how do we see this reverberating around the country? Is all the randomness is a function of the unknown. Some states are opening up, but they don't know whether they'll be able to trace and test. They may say they do, but they don't know. We know because of the amount of testing they've done to this point. New Mexico, however, opposite direction. Locking down to stop the spread. Roads closed off in the city of Gallup tonight. Why? They're not even doing that in Albuquerque or Santa Fe, the rest of the state. Why that city? Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham made the call, and she is here to provide you a window into the reality of reopening. Next. Hey, just a quick thing. A lot of you are saying that this is still a little confusing. Let me say it uh, maybe in a more simple way. A vaccine prevents the virus from ever taking root in your body. A cure stops the virus once it has taken root in your body. So that's why having a vaccine is not as good as having a cure because it may not work for everybody. You may not give it, get it to everybody. So you need both, okay? Vaccine is very helpful in keeping us from getting sick. But what about once we are? That's where the cure comes in. We gotta look for both. A vaccine is a great, great start to keeping a lot of this population uh, from getting sick in the first place. All right, now the state of play in New Mexico. You wanna go to Gallup, New Mexico? Can't, roads are sealed off. City is home to 25,000 or less people. But the mayor needed help fast in coronavirus fighting. Why? I'm going to tell you. He went to the governor. She invoked the Riot Control Act. Businesses are closed tonight. We'll be for 15 hours a day. Everyone who lives there is told to stay home unless it's an emergency. This was a tough move to make. Let's bring in the governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham. Thank you for joining us, Governor. First, uh, all blessings to the family. I hope you uh, and uh, all your loved ones are healthy in the heart, healthy in the head. Well, that's very nice of you. Everyone doing really well uh, in my family. Just got my mom, though, out of the hospital, not COVID-19, and she's in that high-risk group. So she's home safe and sound and happy to hear that your family's also doing so well and that you continue to feel better. Thanks for asking. Oh, no, no. Listen, um, we're all in it together, right? I know it's trite, but true. Uh, let me ask you this, Governor. Boy, are you in a tough spot. Everybody's talking reopen. They don't care about the testing and the tracing. Uh, it's too intoxicating to get back to life. People are too desperate. 30 million people filing unemployment. You get this call from this mayor and they're asking you to do something that is not a popular move right now. What went into your decision making about uh, invoking the Riot Control Act and essentially shutting down a city? Well, I wish that uh, particular piece of legislation had a different title because uh, we don't want to uh, stoke fear in anyone. But honestly, Chris, it was not a hard decision. 
more than three weeks ago, I reached out to that community with a former mayor and really asked them to think long and hard about ways to do much more aggressive community containment, right? We've got a, an older population, a chronic care population. We've got Native American communities who have not had any of the same health care services or supports. They have to come in for food and water. And the longer lead time you have to manage an effort like this, because I've got to make sure everyone's got food, water, medicine, toiletries, personal supplies. Um, but I think it weighed really heavy on that community because it is really harsh but necessary. And frankly, I'm very proud of the former governor. So I got two, I'm sorry, two mayors who said one whose uh, term ended yesterday and one whose term started today. Talk about a tough first day who both were on the same page that this would make a difference. Uh, this city uh, has 14 times the amount of cases uh, in its population than the largest urban center in New Mexico. So it wasn't a tough decision for me. But in context, it's a challenge because this has been going on so long and people want to see it move in the other direction. As a governor in a state where there is acute need here, you, as you outlined to the audience, you have some very specific right. traits to your population and the diversity of the same that creates challenges. Um, the idea of testing and tracing is boring to people now. Even the president has said more than once, I don't even know that it's needed. Some governors think, you know, there may be a better way than testing and tracing. How fundamental to your ability to make judgments about this pandemic is your ability to test and trace? And where are you on that ability? It, it is critical. Nothing we do will be safe enough without both increased testing and the contact tracing. You have to have the kind of public health surveillance systems that allow you to make meaningful, productive decisions while you are keeping as much of your population safe as possible. And given in H1N1, in that flu, we found that Native Americans had a four times greater than anyone else mortality rate. I think the data could very well show that COVID-19 is higher than that. We have an obligation statewide, we're all in it together, to figure out everything we can do to know about prevalence, density, and strategies that allow you to do something different. Without that surveillance, without both those aspects, we can't do it. Now, we've been a very aggressive testing state. It's still not nearly enough. We've got capacity because we're a laboratory state and a research state to do uh, uh, 6,000 tests per day now. Frankly, I think we could stretch it with the right supplies to 75, 8,000. And that's what we're proposing to the federal government. We're one of the pilot test sites. You give us as many tests as possible, we'll run them. And we can run them some in four hours, some in 24 hours. We're fast, we're effective. That means I'm on the ground immediately doing their surveillance and contact tracing. And we're right now uh, engaged in hiring up, staffing up, training, and uh, looking at the software packages that will allow us to ditch digitize this to the highest degree. Well, There's Governor, no way we do uh, Grisham, two years without it. Say that last point again, Governor, I lost you for a second. Well, 
We, while we're all optimistic, I'm with you. Uh, Chris, I'm with mm-hmm. you. Uh, I want a vaccine tomorrow. Uh, if I thought that there was a safe way and that we had the right research capabilities to get that, there's not a governor in the country who's not excited about that potential. And a cure, uh, then we wipe out this particular virus for the worldwide population forever. Perfect. But I have to plan, like every governor, that I'm in this effort for two years, even if you have a vaccine in a year from now, getting everyone vaccinated, focusing on your vulnerable populations, which in my state is a much higher percentage of the general Mm. population than most states. Uh, I need as much investment in that infrastructure as possible, or I can't keep New Mexicans safe. And I'm going to fight until we have it all. Governor, I hear you. And the scary part is I haven't heard any different from anyone. Every governor, every mayor of any significant um, population says they are asking us to fly blind. We're doing the best we can. We're getting as much testing. Take my brother as an example from 20,000 to 40,000. He's got almost 20 million people in the state. How do you open up the whole state when you're only doing 40,000 a day? He says "You, you don't. You can't. You're being asked to fly blind. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to your citizens. So, Governor Grisham, thank you for taking the opportunity tonight, especially late on a Friday when you have all this going on in your state. Please remember this platform is always available to you. Left, right, center. I don't care if there is a message uh, for you to get out to people about the reality in your state, the needs in your state. We're a call away. Well, Chris, I really appreciate that because we all are in fact in this together to save as many American lives as we can. So anytime you ask, I'll be available. Thank you, ma'am. Good luck and and best of health to mom. Thank you very much. I will pass that along. She's a big fan of yours. I fear she might have a crush. It's the haircut. (laughs) She's probably confusing me with Anderson. She's trading down if she goes with me. Take care. The CDC is warning of a critical summer. Why? Because you got to get it right early, especially when it's easy. It's warm. The virus doesn't spread as much. Density is not as much of a must like it is during the school year. And when people are inside and therefore in closer quarters for a larger percentage of the day, we've got to get it right now. Otherwise, what's going to happen when you have the flu, when you have worse weather, when you have more illness, when you have more density? Let's take it to a man with the plan in the last administration to combat Ebola. What is the reality of where we are and where we need to be? It's a familiar question, but we can't get the answer right. So let's keep asking. Next. Let's bring in the former Ebola czar under President Obama, Ron Klain. Welcome back, brother. A couple of quick questions for you, and then I'll leave you alone on a Friday night. First, uh, Operation Warp Speed. You like it? You don't like it? I think anything to accelerate a vaccine is good. But I think slogans aren't going to do it. What we really need is a real investment in the vaccine. And more importantly, Chris, discovering the vaccine, that's the first challenge. But then we need to manufacture hundreds of millions of doses of it. And we need to distribute it, get it to the people who need it, get it in people's arms. So we've got a lot of work to do on that front. I think anything that speeds that up is good. But so far, a lot of the administration's initiatives have been more talk than action. We need to action on this. This is a life or death problem. It's a very complicated problem. And we need to really throw everything at it. 
Assuming they put the money into the manufacturing and they make the doses as they're going through the phases and the science is not compromised, which so far doesn't seem like uh, it has been or that they're planning to do it that way, this could be the first thing that they've actually done right. Well, I, I certainly hope it is. I mean, I think all Americans do. But I think we have to understand that even if this succeeds, it's still probably very far away. I mean, I think that uh, we're talking about say January, January, February at the earliest. Yeah. And boy, I think that is super optimistic. So really, we yeah. have to be focused on what we're doing right now to manage this disease, to get it under control. Because even if that target's hit, and I, I, I'm sorry, I'm skeptical that we'll be having widespread use of a vaccine in January. Uh, even if that's hit, we're a long way from next January, Chris. We've got a lot of work to do right now. Counter this argument. Shut up already with the testing and tracing. We're doing more than anybody else is. We're way ahead of where we were. Uh, we had a bad start that we refused to take any responsibility for. I don't care about that part. Let's not discuss it, Ron. It's not worth it. You're not changing any minds. Um, and it, we're, we're way better than anybody else. So stop talking about it. We're OK. What's the reality of tracing and testing for you? Well, the reality is, let's forget about where we started. Let's talk about where we are. We had our best day ever as a country on testing uh, two days ago. We tested 300,000 people in a country of 300 million people, Chris. So we're nowhere near where we need to be. Uh, I think experts of all spectrums and perspectives say you really need about, you know, three and a half to four million tests a week. So we need to get that up there. And then as you've talked about on the show, testing's just the first step. You need to trace the cases. We need to see who has it, who they've been in contact with, where they're spreading it. That's the bare minimum we need to have some safety, to not fly blind, as you said in the last segment. There's just no way around that. You can't, look, you can't fool the virus. There's no spin. There's no ideology. There's no politics of this. The virus is killing people. There's just a fact. We lost 58,000 people in the month that ended yesterday. We're going to lose tens of thousands of more in this month. Those are realities. The only way to get it under control until there is a vaccine or a cure, the only way to do that is to test who has it and to trace who they've been in contact with. Best pro tip you have right now to inform the leaders on this situation. I'm sorry, because I couldn't hear you. What's your best pro tip for our leaders right now that's not being done yet? Look, I think the most important thing is to really accelerate the production of the testing supplies. You heard the governor in the last segment say she's got amazing labs in her state, but they just don't have the supplies to get the mm -hmm. tests done quickly. We're seeing that all over the country. The federal government needs to use its powers, the Defense Production Act, to mandate the production, to purchase these supplies, to get them wherever they need to be. That is, in the short term, the thing that can take us from 300,000 tests a day to maybe five or 600,000 tests a day before we get beyond that. that. That is the most immediate, impactful thing that can make this country safer. Ron Klain, thank you very much. Have a good weekend. Stay healthy. I need you. We'll be right back. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Right in the center of this fight, New Yorkers have been doing the right thing, changing the path of the spread by staying at a distance. OK, it's so important to keep up the spirits of the saviors on the front lines. And they're doing that beautifully as well. Here's a look and a listen. you of, don't you say you care about healthcare workers and then go out 
and do stupid stuff. Don't go to the beach and get too close to people. I don't go to parties. Don't do any of that and tell me you care about healthcare workers, all right? Because you're full of it. That's what they want us to do. That's what keep the case, keeps the cases down, period. So it is a beautiful demonstration of the enthusiasm for the fact that they are working hardest to save us, our heroes, but let's do what they need as well. Now, what about the treatment front? Where are we on it? This drug approved by the FDA today, will it make a difference? Two great minds, take it up, next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.